Hey there, this is Tammy File, and I'm so glad that you could join us today. We want you to know that whatever you're facing, we are here praying for you. And we pray that you're able to experience the presence of the Lord in your circumstances and that you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you matter to God. I hope you guys are doing well and able to move through uh, some homework. This week's work I know had some, probably some sensitive places in it. Um, dealing in matters of the heart is um, it's sensitive stuff. I realized recently that this Bible study is heavy on application, and that's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, meaning, it's one thing to know about what God's Word is saying um, for everybody everywhere, you know. It's another thing when you have to take it into yourself and say, how does that fit into my own life, and how is that changing my life? Um, and uh, that's what this study is all about. It will not be to fill time, ladies. Um, it is designed for you and he to walk closely together. Um, but the goal here is to help you learn to read scriptures and and hear him for yourself um, in some really neat ways. And um, we've already been working on that, but that's the direction we are we are headed. If you will, turn in your Bible with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, um, verses 31 to 35. Have you got a slide for that? You got a Luke slide? Oh, is this is not on. Is there a way to... Sorry, my monitor is not on. There it is. I've got a crick in my neck. So if I like look to the side and kind of jerk funny, it's because it hurts when I go this direction. And so I'm a little nerdy today in that regard. Thank you, Renee. Renee is our invisible person who runs sound and um, you guys rarely see her. But every now and then you guys can turn around and kind of wave at her and smile her way. I'm sure she'd appreciate it. She's superwoman back there. All right, Luke chapter 22, and then um, we're also going to be in Acts chapter 3. So if you would like to put something over that's not very far away in your Bible, go past the book of John, and you're at Acts. So Acts chapter 3. All right, before we um, begin to read the scripture, I just want to go before the Lord myself. Father God, um, I'm so grateful to be your daughter. Your goodness to me is truly um, just beyond words that you even want me to know you and that you want to speak into my life and that you love me and that you want good for me and through me, and um, I just can't get over all of that. I'm grateful to you, Father, and the only reason I can stand before these ladies is because you've assigned me to do so, not because I have any merit or value or um, value meaning something I've earned, uh, any reason that I have. There's no resume for me that would put me on this stage. You are the only reason I can stand before them because you've asked me to do this. 
And so, Father, I lay everything at your feet, all of who I am, all the days that have led up until this one, and the days that are yet to be. And I ask you to do in my life what you desire to do. I don't want my will to run things at all. Father, I ask you to come now on behalf of all of these who are listening, many who are gathered in this room and many who are listening online or through CD. We're so grateful to have such a a wide group of people who are sitting at your feet with us, Father, all for the same purpose of knowing you better. And I pray that that blesses your heart. I pray, Father, that you will come in this time, that your spirit will bring the words alive. Father, help us to see these characters with new eyes and hear with the heart, Father, that hears it in a different manner. I pray, Father, that you will just bring this concept tonight to life in such a way that we're kind of left shaken by it a little bit, that we have to think about it with you. Um, God, we want to be changed by our time with you. We want to be changed in the in the form that you would desire. And so, God, I also say to you, I know there are some heavy hearts here this week. I know, Father, of some some hearts that I am, am very aware of who didn't get the good news this week from the doctor they desired. And instead, things are harder than they were. Father, I pray for for all the different needs, so many of which I will not know about, but God, you do. I pray that you will minister very tenderly with these hearts especially, who may feel that one more feather on their plate will be what shatters them. God, I pray especially for them. Be tender, be sweet, be gentle, be loving, and undergird them in such a way that they know that you are their great foundation. I love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 22, we're going to visit with our friend Peter. Two weeks ago, we looked at part of his life and were, um, we were able to kind of see some things unfold in his life that were uh, interesting to me. We remember that we, we, we got to kind of rewind and see the first time uh, that Peter will have encountered Christ. His brother Andrew brought him to Jesus And you remember that Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, but you will be Peter. The first thing Jesus has to say to him is, you are, but you will be. Well, later on, we we see that Peter is involved in and around Jesus. And then there comes the point, the very dramatic time when Jesus is in his fishing boat and he performs a miracle so that Peter hauls in this huge catch of fish. And Peter is overwhelmed with his humanity and his smallness and says, you have to leave me, get away from me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And something in that statement caused Peter to leave everything else behind and follow Jesus. There was something in those words, something there. Then we moved on in Peter's life to a kind of a crucial time after he had walked with Jesus at least two years or so. And you remember the time, and he's called Simon over and over, or you'll have seen Simon Peter. But there comes this point where Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say the son of man is? And Peter pipes up and says, you are the Christ, the Messiah. And 
Then Jesus says, now you are Peter. Do you remember the moment? Now you are Peter. I did not do a good job. I apologize. You know, there's so much going on in this head up here. I forget you don't know all that's going on in there. And so I forget that um, I know some things and I didn't spend enough time to elaborate this. Peter, for anyone who would not know, means rock. And I referenced rock, but didn't tell you why. So when Simon, this, this, this fisherman, when Jesus met him and said, you will be, you'll be the rock. Peter's thinking, I know rock. And I told you that part. Peter's saying, I know rock later on. But that's because Jesus' word Peter for him. Simon was his given Hebrew name. He was a good Jewish boy. That was his, his name. Jesus says, you will be rock. And if Peter is anything like us, and he is, he knew he was no rock. And so later on, when Jesus says, Peter, you're right, I am the Messiah, and and you are blessed because no one could have told you this. My Father in heaven revealed this to you. Do you remember that? We didn't have time. There's so many beautiful points that I'm not able to camp out on. But just that beauty of God's been speaking to you, you might not even know it. Yes, Peter, I am the Messiah, and now you are rock. You Now you are the rock. As a matter of fact, I wrote a chapter in a story I wrote one time about John and Peter, and I kind of began to refer to them. John, the disciple John, who writes the Gospel of John, refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. Have you all picked up on all of that? And um, sometimes he calls the beloved disciple is what he calls himself. You know what? You can do that. I'm Jesus Beloved, you can do that. But so I began in that chapter to call them Beloved and the Rock because that was the nicknames that they had. Well, we looked at Peter's life and we got to see some things unfold. We're going to pick up in Peter's life because there's another chapter we need to look at today. And I hope that this will be of encouragement to you. And so here we are. It is the night that Jesus Christ will be taken into custody, and the next day he will be crucified. This is that very night. It is um, when they are eating the Passover, if you glance back up in your chapter, they are eating the Passover dinner together. So this is the night that Jesus will be crucified or begin that crucifixion process. So in verse 31, Jesus says to Simon, 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 Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Your insides ought to tremble on that statement. But the truth is, he has asked to sift you any number of times by now. But we don't always get a a banner or an email that tells us in advance, do we? Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon. What word is he calling him? Simon. He's gone back to his old name. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, did you hear the name change? I tell you, Peter, I tell you, rock, before the rooster crows today. That means before dawn, and it's after dark already, you will deny me three times that you know me. 
This would not be the, the big story about my life I'd want put in the Bible. This is, this is a hard, hard moment. Simon, you will be sifted, and rock, you will fail. But after you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus says, I've prayed that you will not fail. But when he says, Peter, you will deny me. He's saying you will fail. Scan down in your chapter to verse 54. The guards have come for Jesus now. This is probably a familiar story if you grew up in church. They have uh, gathered They've taken Jesus at this point. It says, then seizing him, that's talking about Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, but when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. You do see the exclamation point, don't you? About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The rock had crumbled. And we can't cast any stones because how many times have we looked away from our Savior? How many times have we turned our back on him And this is not for condemnation, sisters. You're going to hear this throughout this study. This is never, ever condemnation. We are only going to speak the truth. We have failed him. And there are chances yet ahead that we may fail him. I'm very disappointed in myself because there was something I was hashing out with the Lord this weekend on Saturday morning before the conference. And I kept feeling like he was saying, don't uh, ask this question that was before me. And it was niggling at me. Do you know those things that just niggle, 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 dig, dig, dig at you? And I really wanted to ask this person this question. And I kept feeling like the Lord. And then I did it. And I, the thing is, insecurities drove it. It's a bad thing to respond to insecurities, ladies. They have driven me to the most places that I didn't want to go. But I kept thinking, maybe I'm not hearing right because I'd really feel like I need an answer here. I feel like... But as soon as I did it, I felt this total depletion, this sense of, dadgum, I failed. And I really try hard not to willfully disobey. But it's one of these things where I was like, am I hearing this right? Am I not hearing this right? And as soon as I did it, I knew I should not have done that. And he forgives. You know, the forgiveness is actually taken care of, but the restoration and the consequences for those stupid mistakes. Who knows what will come of that? But, but we will fail. We, um, we just know. And so we're not throwing stones at our friend Peter. As a matter of fact, where we have to go with Peter, because as you saw before, we can't just look at one day. Peter 
has an important moment that we need to take in. If you'll turn over to your passage in Acts now. Acts chapter 3. And let me set the stage for you. This is not that many days later. We're skipping over the part that Jesus, after he is resurrected, come back, comes back and reinstates Peter. You know that Peter denied Christ three times when Jesus comes back. By the way, when Jesus came back to him and to the disciples, you know they were in the fishing boat again. You know the fishing boat they had left behind. They were in there and could catch no fish. And Jesus on the shore said, haven't you caught anything? And they said, no. And he said, let down those nets again. Guess what happened? Does that rewind you back to to when Peter fell on his face before Christ? Your God is intentional, sister. And you will see it throughout this study because it is throughout Scripture. Peter then knows it is the Lord and so does the beloved disciple. And so when Jesus has a few words with Peter later, he asks him three times, do you love me? He redeemed each time Peter had denied him. He went for all three. I don't know about you, but I need to know that about my God. I need to know that he doesn't miss one of them. He'll go back and redeem all of them. We're going to move past that point and say to you, this is not that many days later. And Peter, the rock, and John, the beloved disciple, who, by the way, throughout the Gospel of John, have foot races and all kinds of things. And John will tell you who beat who to the tomb and things like that. It's very interesting and funny. But they have arrived at the temple, and and Peter heals a man. And so this is where we're kind of picking up. We're going to pick up in verse 11. Peter has healed this man. And here's where we are in verse 11. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if we, by our own power or godliness, we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. Okay, back up. He's at the temple. These are the people who just shouted a few days ago, crucify him, crucify him. And he's coming in front of very soon all the same religious leaders. So you got to know that Peter is now standing in front of the very people who had said, crucify Christ. So he says, you handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned, who else had disowned? Why is that important to him? Because he recognizes it in them. Do you understand? It's not as much condemnation as he's one of them who has disowned. But he says, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. Let that phrase sink on you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus's name 
And the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. We'll pause right there because he has more to say. Do you find this humorous? How much boldness does he have now? What has he not said? You disowned. You killed the author of life. He's being rather brave, is he not? All right, scan a little further down in your chapter. Picking up at verse 25. And you are, no, let's see. Yes. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your forefathers. This will begin to be familiar to you. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. Listen to how Peter applies that promise. When God raised up his servant, he's talking about Jesus. He sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. You ever think of it as a blessing when Jesus' spirit, the conviction comes to you? Peter calls it a blessing. Moving on down into chapter four, please. The priests and the captain of the temple guard, these are the same people who arrested Jesus. And the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Pause for a second. Do you remember what Jesus told Peter? Now you are Peter, and Peter, on you, on your rock, I will build my church. All Peter did was show up and speak what God gave him in his heart to speak. And the church took off like wildfire. We'll visit that in a little bit. Verse 5, the next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, priest was there. Had we studied the crucifixion, you would have known these names again, as were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God has raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Do you think stone in that word, that phrase, meant something to Peter, the rock? Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the men who, were, who had been standing there healed, standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. The very thing that Peter had done wrong, he now does right. 
and in a huge way and with the right audience. The very leaders who had Christ crucified is the audience in front of which he stands. Do you not think his own crucifixion cross was standing before him knowing he could be next? Yes, absolutely. It doesn't sound like our rock is very fearful there, though, does it? He is filled with courage. I think that at Peter's point, I'm just guessing at this, but having come to a couple of places in my own life, I wonder about this. I wonder if Peter had come to a place where he said, you know what? The worst has already happened. The only thing they can do now is kill me. I already did the worst with my God. I failed him. The worst has happened. They can kill my body, but that's all. That's all. That's all they can do. Peter has just done something quite extraordinary. And in all the ways we have seen him fail, he is being vindicated. Peter had been willing to go the distance. He had left behind what he needed to. He had been feeding his hungry heart, as you will have read about this week. And Peter had begun to affect great good. And Peter's life showed the evidence of supernatural power. Our rock had not just become the man he was supposed to be. He had become the man God intended him to be that was on fire with the Holy Spirit. And that makes all the difference. So my question before you tonight is this, what are you doing with God's calling on your life? We will define calling, but each of us has one and it's significant and nobody else can fulfill your calling. No, no one. You have a calling. We need to know a little bit about this calling because if we are not, if we're not Uh, taking the path that leads to the fulfillment of our calling with God, our heart will be ravenously hungry. And you have studied some of this hunger this week. And I pray that the Lord has identified for you some areas because if you're hungry there, here's what you need to know. You know, there's a time the enemy's work, I've got to tell you this, the enemy's work in our life is intoxicating. Oh, he's going to be mad. Let me tell you something. When the enemy is breathing his lies, I've been busy writing in weeks ahead and y'all are coming to some material I'm really excited about. So he's not going to want you to show up. So you got to keep showing up because there's some good stuff coming about the enemy. Here's the deal. The enemy whispers his lies in such subtle ways and he takes an element of truth. Like with Peter here, we could use the example that he's saying to Peter, you blew it and Jesus looked square at you when you did it. How do you ever get over that? How do you ever get over that? Don't you know he was practically throwing up? He was crying so hard. The enemy takes a piece of truth and he applies it wrongly, which is you're ruined now. Too late. You're no rock. Imagine all the things he was saying because he's saying stuff to you. He's saying things that you recognize and don't know it's him. And here's why. He gets in under our feelings. He gets in under things that we just, we just start feeling negative. We feel bad. We feel diminished. We feel like we want to hide that way. He comes into all these different ways, but his lies are so intoxicating 
that we get lulled by them. We don't need, it's almost like you're asleep. If you read C.S. Lewis's works, even, you know, all of his fiction books, which by the way, are some of the deep spiritual truths just put into story form. How many of those stories you'll see someone was sleeping and they might wake up and then they'd fall back asleep and not know they had been sleeping and they couldn't remember what they knew before they were sleeping. Because Satan's lies put, put us into this drowsy, intoxicated state. It's sedating in a way. In other words, it gets harder to hear the truth. The enemy is whispering things to you, and that's his way. But if you just show up with God, you don't have to be a, a, a theologian. You don't need to be a teacher. That's the other thing the enemy's going to tell you, that you... You can't know this stuff unless you're somebody special. That is not true. The Holy Spirit has been given to you. And God's word, he wants to speak truth into your life. So if you just show up with him, he will speak that truth. What are you doing with your calling on God, with God's calling on your life? Number one on your outline is this. I am called to be connected to God. I am called to be connected to God. Therefore, I am hungry to be connected to God. Some of the hungers in our heart are God-given and God-placed God there. Some of the hungers in our heart to be loved and that kind of thing are intrinsic, meaning every human being will have those same things. And these are as well. But there are hungers he put there that only he can satisfy. You're called to be connected to God. Therefore, I am hungry to be connected to God. Number two on your outline says, I'm called to be in fellowship with God. I am called to be in fellowship with God. Therefore, I am hungry to be in fellowship with God. What's the difference in connection and fellowship? Anyone who accepts Christ's offer of salvation becomes connected to God in a meaningful way. Fellowship is what develops when you're willing to keep showing up. Fellowship is what happens along the path of walking with God. You do not have to be a super person to do this. If you will just show up, he will do the other part. Whatever the last thing he asks you to do, you do that thing and you leave the rest of it in his hands. But you will be hungry and you will seek this in other people. Here's what happens. If God and you are not in fellowship, you will be grabbing every human being you can and latching on to them for them to satisfy that part in your heart. And if we have sin in our lives for anything that we know that if we, you know, if you get too close to God, he's going to tell you about that place and you already know about it and you don't want to talk about it. I want to talk about that, God. Well, we grab every person we know that'll listen sympathetically and say, well, you know, you're right. I guess if I were in your shoes, I'd do the same thing. That is not a good friend. Anybody who justifies sin in your life is not a good friend. And by the way, they're not being a friend to God either, which guess who that means they're being a friend to? Can we just say that if you're not doing it God's way, guess whose way you are doing it? There is no neutral ground. We all like to think if we're, in, you know, if we're just reluctant to obey, here's what we mean. Like God's called you to something. You go, I know, I know. 
and you think you're just not responding yet. I'm getting around to it, God. I'm getting around. No, you ain't. I don't know. I know you're not supposed to use the word ain't, but it just fit there. No, you ain't. It's not neutral ground. Because basically the enemy has the ground until you submit it to God because of the flesh and sin in your life. There is no neutral ground. If God's not winning that battle, the enemy is. Call it what it is. John 12, 26 says this. This is Jesus himself speaking. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Do you know that verse? That is a significant verse. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. If you keep your eyes on God, you will not miss your calling. You have a calling And it is to effect great good in this world that only you can bring because you're the one who has your personality. You're the one who has your life experience. You're the one who God has put, he has positioned for that very purpose. There's a verse in Acts that tells us that the times and places are even set by him as where we will live. There's so many scriptures that work together to put this concept together. Number three on your outline. I am called to be transformed into my better self. We have talked about this. Therefore, I am hungry to be transformed into my better self. Better there does not mean perfect or sinless. Better means more whole, more mature. The word we will run across in the New Testament, do you guys know the verse that in the King James translation says, be ye perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect? Do you know that one? The enemy likes to use that one against you, by the way. So if you've heard it, you've probably heard it more than once. That perfect does not mean flawless or blemish-free. It means complete. It's the word teleos, and it means mature or complete. Your better self is more whole, more complete, more mature. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 talks about this transformation. Some of these scriptures are familiar to you. I hope they become friends of yours because you need to run to them when the enemy lies to you. For the Lord is the spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory even more. This past Saturday night, we had Married Life Live, which has been just a really neat event for marriages and um, fellowship, lots of really good fellowship. But um, Hope and Coach um, Barclay Redaball came and spoke for us this week, which was a wonderful, wonderful treat. We were really excited about that. Hope said something really powerful and and very important. She said, God is always looking for room in a Christian's life, in a human's life, but but a Christian's life. And if he can find space there, he he fills it. Not only did she say that, but if he fills that space, he cannot help but transform it into his likeness. 
I had never heard it put quite like that, but we've been talking about this filling up those rooms and being more filled with him and you have more work coming with those kinds of concepts. But this is that being transformed. Every little space you turn over to him becomes more like him because he cannot go into a space and not transform it. He is always, always the creator who continues to create. Number four on your outline, I am called to bring great good into this world. I am called to bring great good into this world. Therefore, I am hungry to bring great good into this world. John 15, 5 says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Ephesians 2, 10, we've looked at it many times now, says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Which takes us to point number five, which is this. Your calling will be more about who you are than it will be about what you do. Your calling will be more about who you are than it will be about what you do. Your heart is what matters the most to God. If God has called you to be an encourager to people, If that's the main thing, when you think about what it is you do, that when you do it, lives are enriched by it. They tell you, I'm better off for having bumped into you in whatever way that is. I'm better off for having bumped into you, run into you, heard from you, been loved on by you, whatever it is. And this isn't about spiritual gifts so much as just you as you are developing and maturing, becoming a blessing to other people. And so... Your heart matters more to him, though. There's this precious woman who sings so beautifully, was at the conference this weekend, not our main speaker, but, and I had a chance to see her later, and she said, I'd really love to be able to sing like this in professional places and conferences and things like that. And I had this chance to say to her, then you watch your heart, sister. Your vocal cords will not be the problem. You keep your heart before God because he cares about the heart more than the vocal cords. In other words, we've got to become the kind of person who would do that thing. If you're called to work with women, the first thing that's got to happen in your life is you got to love women. If you only like 50% of the women around, something's off. You got to love women if you're going to minister to women. Why? Because you're not called to be their judge and jury. You're called to serve them and to love them and to wash their feet. That is what this does. We are washing feet around here. And you will hear me refer to it that way because that's all we're doing. I can't fix anything in Tina's life, but I can take her tired, aching feet. And in the water of Jesus, living water, wash her tired feet. And I want to do that. What is it that you are called to do? You have to be the kind of person that that would naturally flow through. If you're called to be a teacher, then you need to be no, be the best student anybody could ever want. 
A teacher, a good teacher, is first and foremost a good student. They eat up everything that comes their way. They sit under other teachers, and they're stockpiling all of that stuff. So like the verse we said last week where the Spirit teaches and reminds, it's got to be in there so He can remind you. He's not going to tell you to go pull open the encyclopedia and look for it. You've got to be putting it in there. Become the kind of person that does that thing. Point six on your outline, who we are on the inside will always escape into our outer world. Oh, sister, we can only hide it for so long. It will show. Now, this is not condemnation either. All of us have rooms that are still under construction. And so when yours gets bumped into and you know that room is there, you just say, I'm so sorry, I am incomplete there and I do not function well in that room and I'm sorry about it. You be sorry, you apologize, you be humble and let God continue his work there. If you pretend it's not there, the spirit is not running that room and there is no freedom we learned wherever the spirit is not. Verse um Proverbs 4.23 tells us, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Number seven on your outline. To effect great good in this world, we will need supernatural power. To effect great good in this word world, we will need supernatural power. But we have this treasure, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 tells us, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. That's the New International Version translation. Now hear it in New Living, same verse. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. You should know the people around you are very, very human. If they're on a pedestal and they didn't put themselves there, you don't be the one to put them there. Please don't do that. Anytime you put any person on a pedestal, they have nowhere to go but fall. And it doesn't mean even that they did something that bad. It means they never belonged on a pedestal. They're just like you. But God may do neat things through them, but we are all clay jars. Ephesians 1, 18 through 20 talks a little bit more about this power. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. That's Jesus. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the honor place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Which leads us to point number eight. Jesus is always looking for people to whom he can entrust this kind of power. If you are hungry for power and position, God is not going to be giving it to you. But if you are hungry to effect good around you, that is God honoring. And there is a difference. Because if you're willing to do the invisible work, the behind-the-scenes stuff, the grunt work, the scrubbing out the corners, so to speak, in the spiritual realm, your heart might be getting ready to be prepared for more of his power to be unleashed. Number eight, Jesus is always looking for people to whom he can entrust this kind of power. 
You remember in our story with uh, Peter, Acts 4.13 said this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Colossians 1, 9 and 10 also tells us, we ask God to give you a complete understanding of what he wants to do in your lives. And we ask him to make you wise with spiritual wisdom. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And you will do good, kind things for others. All the while you will learn to know God better and better. As the places in your heart are filled up, they will spill out what they are full of. If you are full of bitterness and resentment, it is going to come out. But if God's love is beginning to fill you up, that is what will come out. If you're aware of his mercy to you that says, I don't deserve one single thing God gave me, then mercy spills out of you to the people around you who say, I blew it. You say, me too, sister. I remember, I know. Your heart is what matters in your calling. It is important that you guard your heart well and that you serve your God. He wants to supernaturally flow through you. He wants to. Charles Spurgeon had something to say one time that I really like, and I thought that this would speak to our hungry hearts as well as this issue of what God is wanting to do. It's written some time ago, so the language is a little bit older, but here's what it says. Um, Charles Spurgeon said, The other evening I was riding home after a heavy day's work. I felt very weary and sore depressed when swiftly and suddenly as a lightning flash, the verse came to me, my grace is sufficient for thee. I reached home and looked it up in the original and at last it came to me in this way, my grace is sufficient for thee. And I said, I should think it is Lord and burst out laughing. I never fully understood what the holy laughter of Abraham was until then. It seemed to make unbelief so absurd. It was as though some little fish, being very thirsty, was troubled about drinking the river dry. And Father River said, drink away, little fish. My stream is sufficient for thee. Or it seemed after seven years of plenty, a mouse feared it might die of famine. And Joseph might say, cheer up, little mouse. My granaries are sufficient for thee. Again, I imagined a man way up yonder in a lofty mountain saying to himself, I breathe so many cubic feet of air every year. I fear I shall exhaust the oxygen in the atmosphere. But the earth might say, breathe away, O oh man. And fill the lungs ever, my atmosphere is sufficient for thee. O oh, brethren, be great believers. Little faith will bring your souls to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your souls. If you would like to study along with me, you can find the workbooks at tamifile.com and just click on the bookstore tab. This message coordinates with the first workbook in the Journey with God series called Discovering the Father's Heart.